This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan, and today is January the 7th, 2023. I'm so glad you joined with us today for week two out of two of our kickoff to 2023. Last week, in the theme of New Year's resolutions, we explored the amazing New Testament message of what is already new for us in Christ. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Today, we're going to look at one of Jesus' more practical commands in all of the Gospels. This is a command. Guys, if we obey it, <laughs> you know, if you do this one weird trick, if it was on the internet, friends, if we obey this, it will bring us peace perhaps more than anything else we could do. The problem, though, is that while this may be one of Jesus' most freeing commands, it is also the New Testament's hardest command. Think with me for a second. What are the hardest commands? When you just think of the practical reality of life and things we read, we hear Jesus say, maybe Paul writes, whatever, and we say, you know, that is just rainbows and unicorns. Sure, it would be great if I could do that, but that's just impossible. Anything come to mind? How about what Paul says in Colossians 3? Forgive. How do we forgive? The same as how God forgives us. Forgive others as God forgives you, as God has forgiven you. How about what Jesus says in John 13? Love one another. And of course, he doesn't stop there. If we ask how are we to love one another, he says, love one another as I have loved you. So think about that person right? That person that you say you can't love, love them, but love them as Christ loves them, as Christ has loved you. How about from Philippians 4? Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. In Mark 8 and a few other places, we, we see Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. And we think about, wow, what does that mean? And then in Matthew 5, perhaps at the top of the list, well, second to the top of the list, is when Jesus says, be perfect as God is perfect. Wow. That's as crazy as that sounds in the reality of life. By the way, all of those passages, all of those statements have very important context that you need to go, to, go and look at and read in order to really wrestle with what God is saying to us there. But as crazy as those sounds, I want to tell you that in the reality of life, what Jesus commands us in Matthew chapter 6 may be even harder. And that is the command for us to not worry. You know, it's been said, if you're not worrying, you're just not paying attention. But both a promise and a command in Scripture is that as followers of Christ, as new creations in Christ, living in the hope of Christ, we do not have to be held bondage by fear and anxiety and worry. In Christ, it is possible to live free of worry in the midst of a stressed out world. Well, how? I mean, what does this look like? What does Jesus say here? So our scripture at hand, our scripture at hand is Matthew chapter 6, and it's a well-known passage that follows Jesus' teaching of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to start in verse, well, starting in verse 25, four times Jesus says, do not worry. And the focus of how we are not to worry really is the entire chapter. 
including the heart perspective that we see in the Lord's Prayer. But we're going to start with Jesus' very practical teaching that begins in verse 19. But before we go there, all right, let's just talk about a definition here. Just what are we talking about when we hear Jesus say the word worry? Okay, what does it mean here? You know, when we think of the word worry, one, one way we think of it, maybe a first way we might think of it, is the concept of worry in terms of just caring about something. We may say, don't worry about it. And by that we may mean, don't pay that any heed, right? Don't give it any thought, have no concern. And this is actually a really popular concept in our culture. You know, when I was preparing this this week, three songs came to mind. Depending on what type of music you listen to, you may think of Three Little Birds, famous song by anyone, Bueller, Bob Marley. And the chorus, of course, is don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. A little later than that, when I was in college, a big hit was Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. And if you've got kids or grandkids, or who knows, maybe just you yourself, what comes to mind is Timon and Pumbaa's theme song from The Lion King, Hakuna Matata. It means no worries. It's our problem-free philosophy, Hakuna Matata. You know, honey, did you pay the rent? Ah, don't worry about it. Hakuna Matata. Well, obviously, guys, this is not what Jesus teaches. You know, I was, again, thinking this week, when I was in grad school and college, um, I was, it was an architecture program, landscape architecture program. We'd do these big drawings, and we'd have them on our mylars, our vellums, and then we would go down to get them printed, okay, on the print machine. And you had to go through a door and hand it to a person, pay a little bit, and they'd do your prints. And on the sign, there was a sign on the wall there in the print room that said, Lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on our part. I think we could translate that spiritually to say bad decisions on your part do not constitute divine will on God's part. Because in contrast, Scripture teaches us to work, to provide, to be responsible, to pay heed to things ahead of us, to be wise. It's been said that wise planning is time well spent while worrying is time wasted. Likewise, healthy concern and awareness leads to good judgment. It's been said that healthy concern gives way to planning, while worry gives way to fear. So if you wanted a little something to write on a card and stick on your fridge, there you go. So my friends, when Jesus said, don't worry about your life, he didn't mean don't have a healthy and responsible perspective on the details of your life. Personal responsibility is a very biblical thing. So what is Jesus getting at? My friends, it's worry the way we most often think about it. It's worry and fear that flows from our desire to control what is going to happen. And of course, this can be a big range, right? Irrational worry about things totally beyond our control, often coupled with the need to always be in control. You know, worry about things that really aren't that important. Maybe worrying about things that probably won't happen, right? borrowing trouble from the future. But then there's the very real worry we experience when we see very possible negative outcomes in our situations, especially when it is completely beyond our control, because this leads to a feeling of helplessness, and we worry. And from here, it's just a small step to the next level, which is full-blown anxiety and fear almost always based upon things beyond our control, and it can just shut us down. So in the midst of that, and we all can relate to this, what does Scripture have to say? 
Now, as we go through this passage, we can hear Jesus asking us some important questions, questions that reveal the source of our worry and stress or the source of our peace. And the first question is, where is my treasure? So Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, if you have your Bible, if you don't have your Bible, I really encourage you, pause the audio here, go get it, and follow along in this text with me. So Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, and Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My friends, an important thing here. Jesus doesn't say that we can't have nice things. He says, don't store up treasure on earth, meaning don't vest your life, your identity, your hope, your contentment, and your wellness in temporary things. Rather, for all of these true needs in life, look to God. And guys, when I say look to God, that isn't some simplistic cliche. This means through a conscious, purposeful faith in Christ to know who God is, his nature, his presence, what is true about God, true about Jesus, and true about you as a disciple, and then choose to live as if these things are true, because they are, and they are good. But it's even more than this. Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. See, this is a picture of investing our lives, our hopes, our identity in things the spirit and the nature of Christ will lead us to do. Not just believe. It's not just about doctrine. It's how we actually live. This is what the author Larry Crabb talks about in his book, The Pressure's Off. By the way, if you haven't read that and you want a uh, recommendation for a wonderful book, it's not an easy read, but a wonderful book, Pressure's Off by Larry Crabb. All right, Larry, there's your plug. In this book, um, Larry describes this as the, the, the concept of our first place passion. That we can have many passions, but one first place passage, only one first place passion, And our first place passion is what reveals our source of life. And guys, if it is ourself, just temporary things, then the pressure is on. Because it's up to us to maintain these things. And this leads to worry. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul sums this up this way. When he's writing, this is Paul writing to his friend Timothy, and he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So, my friends, as we move into 2023, what is your treasure? your greatest treasure, your first place passion. The next question that we see Jesus say, give us as we move on in the text, is how is our vision? Verses 22 and 23, Jesus says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? Wow. 
That's strong. Those are strong words. And I think this is maybe the most difficult statement in this whole broader passage to really understand. So a few important things here. In Jesus's time, people regarded the eye as the window into the soul, right? It is how you see that would lead to who you are, your character, and your expression of what's really going on in your heart. In fact, Jesus has just moved from talking about where your heart is in the passage we saw just before this to how we see, and those metaphors are very parallel. So Jesus' hearers would have known exactly what he meant. Secondly, the word the NIV translates here as healthy, as when he says, if your eyes are healthy, actually is the word single, right? Literally, it's if your eye is single. It's also translated sometimes clear. And this is the picture of clear vision, perceptive vision, a single versus a double vision. You see, Jesus has just talked about the dangers of vesting our life in temporary and materialistic things, even if they're wonderful things. Here, he says, if you see the world around you with a healthy perspective where God is your center, where God is your hope and trust, then your life will be full of light of hope, of goodness, and peace. But if you have unhealthy vision, and by the way, the word here for unhealthy, that's how the NIV translates it, is actually the idea of being evil, corrupt, and selfish. If you have unhealthy vision, if you see your life in the world around you through the lens of pride, selfishness, of thinking that temporary things are your hope, then not only will your life be dark, right, full of fear and worry, but that darkness will distort everything you see. It will consume you. Now, listen to what the famous theologian from multiple generations ago, C.H. Spurgeon, some of you know well who Spurgeon was. Listen to what Spurgeon had to say about this passage. And here he compares our vision with our motive, what compels and motivates us in life. And Spurgeon said, the motive is the eye of the soul. And if it be clear, the whole character will be right. But if it be polluted, our whole being will become defiled. If a person does not see things in a right light, they may live in sin and yet fancy they are doing their duty, right? Living for God. So a man should live up to his light. But if that light is itself darkness, right? If we are deceived, what a, mistake his whole, what a mistake his whole course will be, right? Our whole life. And then Spurgeon said, If our religion, our religious convictions, lead us to sin, that is worse than irreligion. If our faith is presumptuous, our zeal selfish, our prayers mere formality, and our hope a delusion, our experience shallow and self-centered, then the darkness is so great that even our Lord holds up his hands in astonishment and says, How great is that darkness? And then Spurgeon said, Oh, for a single eye to see God's glory, a sincere consecration unto the Lord, this alone can, feel, can fill my soul with light. Wow. So my friends, this new year, as you look at the things in your life, consider how you see and relate to the world around you. How is your vision? Clouded vision misses the goodness of God, misses the peace of trust, and leads to fear and worry. Well, as Jesus continues here, his next question is, 
Who do I serve? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. For you cannot serve both God and money. Now, guys, Jesus here reiterates his point in a way that is simple and penetrating. What do we really serve? What do we say, this I have to have in order to be content, have peace and wholeness? What or who do we look to for our hope and our identity? Because if we have bound ourselves to temporary things, we will be defined by worry. Because we know, even if we don't want to admit it, we know these can be taken away. But Jesus here takes it even a step further. Not only will temporary things not bring us life, but if we are mastered by these, if these become our first place passion, they will actively push us away from God. And we'll come to resent God when these lesser gods, because really that's what they are, when they fail us. I mean, think. If we are truly honest and self-aware, and that's hard to do at times, but if we are truly honest and self-aware, friends, has there ever been a time when you have prayed for your circumstantial needs and said something like this, God, this thing, this need, this is my source of hope. I need this for my identity, my security, my peace. So God, please help me keep this so I don't have to fully place my trust in you. Oof. Or, my friends, by the Spirit, do we learn to pray, Lord, you know how much this situation means to me. Lord, you know my heart, how much I desire for you to take action here. But Jesus, as much as I am able, by your Spirit in this moment, and as much as I desire for this outcome, Lord, draw my eyes to you. Lord, may I look, I desire to look first to you. May my hope, my trust, my source be in you. Lord, help me to trust you with this outcome, whatever it may be. Oh, my friends, in Christ, we have received the gift that our hope, our identity, our acceptance, and our goodness these are things we have already received by our faith in God. And even when that faith is just one step at a time, because God doesn't always provide for us everything we need right now in advance. Sometimes it's just God is present and his goodness and his, his provision to us is right when we need it, one step at a, at a time. When that is where we are, this hope, this peace is a peace that cannot be taken away. So, in 2023, my friends, who will you serve? Jesus continues with a question that points us to one of the most beautiful and life-giving promises, guys, that we have in Scripture. And it's the question, what is my value? Going on in verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. I'm going to hit the pause button here. It's, it's a key thing to recognize. What Jesus just described here, food, health, clothing, these are essential things. They are important. You know, if you remember the, the Maslow's hierarchy, you remember, remember that? These are, if you, in Maslow's hierarchy, right, the fundamental needs of life, these are two of the foundational levels of existence. 
physiological needs and safety. You see, Jesus isn't being flippant here. He points to some of our most basic human needs, which he fully understands. And he says, don't be consumed by this. Don't attach your treasure, your vision, what masters you to these things. Yes, they are important, but there is something far more valuable. And he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. All right, parentheses. By the way, guys, this is not about passivity. Right? Jesus is talking about the birds that God provides for. Look out your window at the birds. They work constantly, nonstop. And then Jesus goes on and says, So are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Church, Jesus here cuts to the heart of the matter. In a world of temporary things, what is the basis of your self-worth? Don't you know and believe that you are valuable to God, that you matter? You see, God declares this throughout Scripture. Every human life, everyone is precious to Him. You matter. Christ proved this once and for all upon the cross. And my friends, I have to add here one of the greatest ways, if not the greatest way, Jesus demonstrates how much he values people is by how we as his disciples value people, by how we love them, care for them, listen to them, are kind to them, patient with them, and accept them. You know, an interesting note here, the phrase, you know, how, how by worrying could you add an hour to your life? This also can be translated, add a cubit to your height or increase your stature. Jesus is saying, worry will not enhance your life. Rather, it steals away our life. And so Jesus implores us to stop trying to define ourselves or others. Stop trying to validate our value as humans based upon what we have, how well we perform, or what others say about us. So my friends, in this new year, what do you believe is your value? What is the basis of how you think of the value of your life and the lives of others? And this now leads us to the central point of Jesus's entire teaching in this passage. What may be the most important question we can ask, our, ask ourselves this year or in any given situation, is what do I seek? Or better said, who do I seek? Jesus continues in verse 28 through 33. And why do you worry about clothes, Jesus said? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after, yeah, parenthesis, the word run after, that's a picture of stressing out, right? Being burdened, fear, anxiety. Look into these things as our source of life. 
For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And guys, here's the statement. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Wow. Oh, church, we could spend months, if not years, plumbing the depths of what Jesus said right there. I mean, what does it mean to seek God's kingdom, to seek God's righteousness? Now, you could probably give some good answers to that. But what about what seems to be Jesus' promise and all of these things, what we eat, drink, and wear, our temporary needs will be given to us when we first seek him? Guess what does that mean? when we hold that statement honestly against the reality of human experience. Because it's just a demonstrable fact that many sincere believers, thousands upon thousands throughout the history of Christianity, who have devoted their lives to God's kingdom and righteousness, have also experienced chronic need, poverty, hardship, and even death. My friend, if you are wrestling with that question, I want to tell you that is very real. It is very important. And there is a discussion to be had there. But right now, I just want to focus on one essential thought. In the midst of your life, as it really is, our hope of living with a prevailing peace, a mental and emotional rest, from a place of intellectual honesty, self-awareness, humility, security, and inner health, hear me, our hope for this wellness of our soul is for our greatest treasure and our first place passion to be the presence and goodness of God through our faith relationship with Jesus Christ. In the midst of a stressed out world, Jesus calls us into the moment by moment peace of our relationship with him. Now, My friend, that is intentional, and it takes on many different forms. But right now, I just want to move to wrap up with one more question as Jesus concludes this part of his teaching. And it's verses 19 through 21, when Jesus essentially is asking, not who am I, but when am I? Jesus says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Friends, bottom line, God calls us to live in the present. You know, as people of faith, we are often tempted to to live either in the guilt of our past or in our desire for the future. But God is the God of right now. I mean, yes, don't hear what I'm not saying. The Christian hope has a destination. But rather than diminishing the importance of the present, the New Testament is a picture of us bringing that hope of the future back into the present. As we discussed last week, this is is the call to bring the not yet of Revelation 21 into the right now of everyday life. You know, it's no accident that Jesus' invitation into a life free from the bondage of fear and worry is preceded here in Matthew 6 by Jesus teaching us how to pray. And this is where he says, you know it, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, right? May your presence, your rule come, and your will, your nature and character be done, right? When? Here, on earth, 
as it is in heaven. And my friends, the emphasis of what we call the Lord's Prayer is right now. So when Jesus says, don't worry about your, about your life, in the context of this whole chapter, he is saying, may the peace of your Father in heaven be your peace in your life today through your faith and trust in me. Last thought. My friends, why did Jesus teach us not to worry? If you go read Philippians 4, why does Paul say, don't be anxious in anything? Because Jesus knows that we worry. And God knows that we struggle with fear and anxiety. In our experience of life, we haven't yet been made perfect. And God knows this. So, friends, when we worry, because we do, when we worry, know that God does not condemn you. He does not cover you with guilt or shame. Rather, like a loving parent or a compassionate friend, he calls us into his embrace. When we worry, may we hear what God says to us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, where we read, So humble yourselves, right? Let go, be honest, stop fighting, and trust. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Friends, in this new year, I guarantee it, you will be tempted to worry. You know, some of you may be carrying great anxiety right now. And when we find ourselves there, may we go to Matthew 6, to the words of Jesus, and honestly before God, ask ourselves, what is my greatest treasure? What is my first place passion? How is my spiritual and emotional vision? Who really am I serving? What is my value? What is the source of my value deep in my heart? What or who do I truly seek? Do I trust God to live in the present? And maybe most importantly, in the core of our hearts, do we believe that God cares for us? When I am afraid, will I take that fear, that anxiety, my worry, and surrender it to him? In the midst of a stressed out world, Jesus invites us to be set free from the bondage of fear and worry. How will we respond? Church, thank you so much for joining with me today. I pray you have a wonderful week. And if you do have fear and worry right now in your life, I pray that the Spirit will take Jesus' words here, this amazing passage, and use it to bear fruit to one step at a time set us free from the bondage of a chain that we have already been set free from. Guys, I love you, and I'll see you back here next week.